Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. We're going to start by a blessing today. I'm going to bless you all. We're going to talk about blessings and the power of blessings next week. So if you're like, what in the world is happening? Come back next week and we'll talk about that. But right now, I bless you in the powerful name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need today, whatever help from God you need immediately. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now, and whatever you're facing that you would feel hope and joy and love and peace. May you feel all those things. In the name of Jesus, may it be. Amen. All right, welcome back to our Moses series. In case you're new here or are visiting, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. Glad to see you this morning. Uh, we are nearly, 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 I promise, nearly at the end of our Moses series. We have looked at Moses growing up um, time in Egypt. We've looked at the time when he was in Midian, in exile. He came back. He confronted Pharaoh. There was these plagues. And then they left Egypt as a nation, and they crossed through the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army didn't, wasn't as successful. And then they went to Midian, where they uh, spent time at Mount Sinai. Then God's people journeyed to the Promised Land. They decided, mm, too scary after all this time. And so then they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as that generation of faithlessness died out and this next generation is there. Now we've gone through those 40 years and we are on the shore. We are ready to cross into the promised land. But before that happens, there's a few final bits that are going to take place. And the first one we're going to talk about today is probably one of the more intriguing I think challenging, um, disturbing maybe, <laughs> uh, uh, stories when it comes to anybody who wants to follow God well. And it was like, okay, it is my life's passion to be obedient to God, to follow God well. This is a bit of a disturbing story to, to look at. We're going to look at the moment where Balak, king of Moab, hires Balaam, this prophet, to come and curse God's people. Now, again, we're going to talk about that next week, but we're going to look today at the fascinating relationship between Balaam, this prophet of God, and his attempt at serving God and something else, serving two masters. Jesus says you can't do it. Balaam proves it. You cannot serve two masters, in his case, God and money. Now, I'm sure that when I, when I say this, you're like, okay, you cannot serve two masters, few. No conviction today. I love Jesus. Uh, this is so great, so easy. Can't serve two masters. Everybody knows that. I, Jesus is my master. Wonderful, fantastic. Personally, I struggle with this one. 
And, and I wonder if, if I'm not alone in having two masters. I have had other little masters in my life that have tripped me up from time to time. They don't trip me up every day. But I, I do want to serve Jesus. Jesus is my master. I do want to serve him with all my heart. And yet there's, there's other things that, that happen from time to time. We're going to talk a little bit about those other masters. But first, maps. All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna set up our story today by, by finding out what's going on in, in the province land. It was getting a little bit too heavy too fast. So here we go. Uh, maps time. Uh, just as a reminder of where we're at in our journey, they left Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh, the green circle area. There could have been multiple Kadeshes, but this is the one that they were last at when they were wanting to go through Edom. Edom said no, so they turned around and they went up along the way of the Dead Sea. Um, kind of halfway between the green circle and the bottom of the Dead Sea, they had snake fest. And they, it didn't go well, but then they make, make a craft, and there's a snake on a pole, bronze snake on a pole. There's healing there. So that's happening partway up. We talked about that last week. Since then, a few other things have happened, brief stories. They've made their way up along the Dead Sea, and they've cut through Moab, and they've come to that blue square bit at the top of the blue arrow where they end up getting attacked by the king of the Amorites, who's from Heshbon, and that's the red square is where he's from. So you can see they, they were feeling intimidated. They were very close there. So the Amorites attacked, but they get completely beaten. And so, because they're completely beaten, God's people get all of that, their land, the purple area. They get all that area just to themselves because they were attacked and they won. So that's great. Um, but then... There's another battle, and so they go up north, and map two here, and the, the Og, the king of Bashan, attacks them, and they have they had this big battle up there, and again, they completely bash the Bashanians. <laughs> yes, been waiting that for three years. No, no, no. Uh, so they, they destroy Og of Bashan, and they also get all of that land. So they, they have accumulated in a very quick amount of time... Um, leadership dominance of this vast area and actually a, a very spectacular land, like very great land. hate to give this away, but it is, in many ways, most of that land is better than what is on the other side of the river in what we call the promised land. So, but they've got an amazing a bit of land and it's, and it's all of theirs. And then that brings us to map three. Map three, Brian, what a Sunday. I know. So here we are, they've, they've gotten all this purple land, and now they are on the plains of Moab, which is where that blue square is, and they're camped, and basically it's right across from Jericho. So you, you know what's going to happen, you know that they're going to be camped across from Jericho, and then they're going to go across the Jordan River and go to Jericho over time. We're very close to that moment, they're camped across the way, they've got all of this land, but there's a few other stories here. And the king of Moab can't, comes up, and he is going to, you know, kind of try and mess up God's people. Don't want to give it all away. Anyways, they're on, the, they're on the plain of Moab. Here's some pictures of the plain of Moab area. Here's an aerial shot. This is probably above Jericho, maybe. Uh, above Jericho, looking out across the Rift Valley, you can see the Dead Sea on the, the top of the Dead Sea, and you can see the mighty Jordan 
You can't really, but there's an arrow there so you can tell the Jordan River is, is there. Uh, very small. Uh, but it's, it's going through there. And then the plains of Moab is the flat bit of the, of the land on the other side of the Jordan, just across the way. Just across the way. It's also the same area Jesus is baptizing and John the Baptist is baptizing later. But anyways, you have the plains of Moab out there. Uh, maybe a, lower, a little bit closer up shot of, the, of what the plains of Moab look like. There you go. Big flat area. Great campsite, right? Campsite along the Jordan. You got river there and water. Uh, you got camels there, power lines. Perfect, right? Everything you need for a campsite. So this is the setting right here where this story is taking place. And, and yet I wonder how much God's people know about what's going on behind the scenes. We're going to be reading a behind the scenes story. That, do God's people know the threat that's out there? Do they know what's, what's, what, what threat is gathering out in the distance? Maybe not. Maybe they're just thinking, okay, it's about time to cross into the, to the promised land. Here they are camped across the river. And here's the story we read in the background, starting in Numbers chapter 22. Numbers 22, starting in verse 1, it says, The Israelites traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab near the Jordan across from Jericho. See, I'm not making this up, guys. It's just... Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw, that all, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Moab was terrified of the people because they were numerous. And Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the, the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde will devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants in the field. Now, just, just pause here. Um, they're not afraid of being invaded. You remember, God's people passed through Midian and left them alone on, the, on their way up north. They dealt with the people who attacked them, but they're not really afraid of being attacked. They're afraid of all these people consuming the resources, you know, like an ox. You know how oxes are. I don't know how oxes are. Uh, but but that they're, they're, consumed, they're, they're worried about all of this massive amount of people consuming all the resources so that their, uh, their nation gets impoverished here. Since Balak, son of Zippor, was Moab's king at the time, he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pethor, which is by the Euphrates in the land of his people. Balak said to him, look, a people has come out of Egypt, they cover the surface of the land, and are living right across from me. Please come and put a curse on these people for me, because they are more powerful than I am. I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. Okay, so we have Moab partnering with Midian to hire Balaam. Now, here's, we had to go for a zoom out map. Any time, quick tip, that you're dealing with a zoomed out map, the scale of the threat and the advantages are bigger, right? So you're, you're leaving the area of our local conflict map, which is a little bit of a blue dashed area. That's, a, that's the map that we have been looking at. Anytime you leave that and you bring in like Egypt or Assyria or Babylon, the scale is getting big. The threat's getting big. So they're bringing in the Midianites, for this moment. The Moab, you can see on this map uh, the green square outlined in purple with a purple X in the middle of it, kind of in the middle of the map. I really went over the top there. That's where the plains of Moab are, where God's people are camped. 
The Moabite king, Moab, that red box just below there, has hired the Midianites or partnered with the Midianites down by Mount Sinai where Moses lived for 40 years, where Moses' father-in-law is the high priest or one of the priests of Moab. So he gets them and they consp- they're, ups- they're-, they're going to work together and they're going to hire Balaam from way up north. Um, very close to where Abraham lived for a while, where um, Jacob lives for a while, a place called Pethor on the Euphrates River. Um, Abraham lived in Haran for a while and his father. Haran, the word Haran is just at the top left corner of that red box up at the very top. You don't have to be able to read it. It's just up in that area, kind of close to that area. Um, if you're a history buff, Carchemish is right by there where the big Babylon, Egypt battle, doesn't matter. Anyway, so, so he's from there. Now, what that highlights is Balaam is a big deal. He's not just a local legend. We're talking now he is an empire scale, multi-empire scale legend. He's, he's off the map. He's off the legend map, right? He, he's a really big deal. Um, so he's famous. Now, so they, they get him to come down for some blessing and cursing, this legendary guy. And let's keep reading at what happens here. So the elders of Moab and Midian departed with the fees for divination in hand. They came to Balaam and reported Balak's words to him. He said to them, spend the night here and I will give you the answer the Lord tells me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam replied to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent this message to me. Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. I may be able to fight against them and drive them away. Then God said to Balaam, you are not to go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they are blessed. So... Balaam got up the next morning and said to Balak's officials, go back to your land because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The officials of Moab arose, returned to Balak, and reported Balaam refused to come with us. By the way, that's about a 20 to 25-day journey. 20 to 25-day journey. Okay, a couple just quick notes before we keep going. Number one, Balaam really does know God. He's really hearing from God in this moment. He is not working for some foreign demon uh, God of some sort. He knows God. Secondly, Balaam is clearly desiring to obey God. Fact. Balaam has a great opportunity. He asks God about it. God says no. So no matter how tempting the opportunity would be, he he is going to obey God. God says no. He says no good start. That's where Balaam's at. God is important to Balaam. God, God, Balaam serves God. You got, God really is his master, his, his first master, his master in the story. But let's keep reading and see what happens here. So Balak sent officials again who were more, more numerous and higher in rank than the others. They came to Balaam and said to him, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Let nothing keep you from coming to me, for I will greatly honor you and do whatever you ask me 
So please come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam responded to the servants of Balak, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the command of the Lord my God to do anything small or great. Please stay here overnight as the others did so that I might find out what else the Lord has to tell me. God, the real God, came to Balaam at night and said to him, Since these men have come to summon you, get up and go with them. I'm going to say that again. Get up and go with them. But you must only do what I tell you. When he got up in the morning, Balaam saddled his donkey, as the Lord said, and went with the officials of Moab. Okay. Now, here we're introduced sneakily to Balaam's other master, money. You get a little bit of a hint of, I'll give you anything. And he's like, even if I have a, his house full of silver and gold, that, that would be my anything, is what he's saying. That, that, that's giving us a sneak peek. When the New Testament talks about Balaam, his other master is money. It's wealth. Uh, you see this in 2 Peter chapter 2, maybe in your Bible reading for this last week. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he talks about how Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. He loved the money. And that money uh, drew him astray. Jude, the book of Jude. I mean, I know you're all reading the book of Jude this week uh, because it's Bible read-through. Jude writes about his people plunging into Balaam's error for profit, for profit, for money. Now, you don't see this yet in our story here, but Balaam's love for money, it's going to be the thing that wrecks him in the end. That's this underlying tension, second master thing. Now, my guess is that Balaam has no idea, that he has no idea that his love for money is going to wreck him. He could easily look at his life in the moment and be like, God is my master. God is my number one. I follow God. And and, and he could look at his life. He's like, I turned down the riches the first time. And then they came back and offered me more. And I didn't just say, okay. I went to God again, and God said I could go. He could look at his life and say, no, God is his master. Remember, God, I'm never saying in this whole teaching that God is not Balaam's master. What I'm saying is there's a danger because he has another one. He genuinely has God as his master. And, and, and here's the trick. I want to be a person whose master is only Jesus, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm sure you do too. And the Bible is clear. We cannot serve two masters, so we got that. But I have other masters, little masters, that I, I, I don't want to admit how imp, imp, uh, impactful they are to me. You know, I want, I want to pretend that these... Now, I'm not saying these other masters trip me up every day. They don't praise God. They don't trip me up every day, but they're there. And, and because they're important to me, they do trip me up from, from time to time. Balaam is not tripped up every day by money. In fact, most days he's not tripped up by money, but it's a master that's going to get him in the end. For example, masters, right? So, um, Kelly, my wife, right? So, she, she's kind of a big deal to me. I, I, I think, I think she's, she's a big deal. Kelly loves Jesus. Kelly follows Jesus. Uh, she wants to follow Jesus. I want Kelly to be happy. I very much want Kelly to be happy with me. Very much. And, you know, they say, happy wife, happy life. So Jesus is my master, but 
Kelly's happiness towards me is also a potential secret master in my heart, right? Yeah, it's true. Jesus is a master, but Kelly's happiness is a big deal to me. It's another master. Jesus is my master, but sometimes the financial realities and situations in any given moment or decision have an impact. Sometimes money is also a master. Does it win every time? No. But it's there. It's another master. Jesus is my master, but there are other values and priorities and things that I like that can pull at my heart in competition to Jesus. Do they win every day? No way. But they're there, and they, they can win on some days. Now, praise God again that, that these things don't trip me up every day. Many times, Jesus wins. But, but sometimes, those other masters make it really difficult. Not because of them, but because of what's going on in my heart. To, to, to see Jesus winning more and more. Can, can you see the things in your heart? The other masters. Again, I'm not saying Jesus is not your master. What I'm saying is, can you see the other things that could potentially pull on your soul and be in conflict with Jesus? I'm not saying that those things are even evil. Kelly is definitely not evil. Kelly's happiness towards me is not an evil thing. I love it. It's a good thing. Right? I'm not saying that they're, they're evil things, but, but do you have those, do you, can you spot those other things like a, a relationship? That, that potentially is pulling. Money issues, uh, compromise things, safety, a desire for safety, a desire for ease, a desire of, you know, avoiding conflict, whatever. Whatever is out there. I'm not going to say you have them. Most people do. Most people have those kinds of things. And how is your self-perception on, on the, your own little master's that could potentially, not every day, but sometimes, pull you away from following Jesus well. You can't serve two masters. Again, you know, like, in what, what could have been potential conflict, I was terrified what Kelly might think when I, when I was ready to start talking about moving to Scotland. And I believe Jesus wanted to go here, but wanted us to come here, but, like, what, what would Kelly think? Now, Kelly was brave. And Kelly was, was in it to win it. She was, she was all in, and, and I just really appreciate it. But what if she wasn't? I don't think I could have done it. I mean, that would have been really difficult. I don't care. I'm just going to pull our kids away from your, your parents and, you know, all this. I, I'm going to sell all your stuff and move. I know, right? You're feeling it. Praise God for Kelly, though, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The, the thing about having more than one important master, though, is it's not a problem every day. It's not even a problem on most days, but on the one day it is a problem, it's a problem. On the one day that there is an issue, it can potentially be a life-redirecting issue. Balaam has every reason to think in his self-assessment that he only has one master, and that master is Jesus, and that he's defeated the money master. 
He's making decisions. He's saying no. He's saying no. Uh, he's turned down the money once, and now he's getting a bigger offer. He doesn't just say yes. He goes to God again. God says he can go. Okay. He said he wasn't going to go if God doesn't want him to go. He's allowed to go, but it's clear. God is clear to him that he must only do what God says he will do. And if that seemed interesting, this next bit gets really interesting. Listen to this, Numbers 22, 22. But God, so he was going, but God was incensed that Balaam was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand on the path to oppose him, verse 33 says, to kill him. To oppose him, Balaam was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him. Okay, note, God said that Balaam could go. He said go. And so Balaam goes, God said it's okay. But now God is raging at him. There's an angel there to kill him. Complicated, right? Sometimes like following Jesus, come on, make it a little bit easier. If you say I can do this, let me do this, right? I find this so disturbing. Balaam asks God. God says go. God's raging. God's got an angel there to kill him. What happens, okay? So, okay, God's incensed. Verse 22, angel took a stand and opposed him. Balaam was riding his donkey. Two servants were with him. Verse 23, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the path with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the path and went into the field. So Balaam hit her to return her to the path. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passage between the vineyards with a stone wall on either side. The, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord and pressed herself against the wall, squeezing Balaam's foot against it. So he hit her once again. The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she crouched down under Balaam, so he became furious, furious, and beat the donkey with his stick. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she asked Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You made me look like a fool. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you now. It's an anger problem, by the way. We'll talk about that at a different time. But the donkey said, am I not the donkey you've ridden all your life until today? Have I ever treated you this way before? No, he replied. Okay, now, Balaam is so frustrated. He is so frustrated, he's so raging, that he would have killed his talking donkey. I mean, <laughs> his talking flying donkey. You know, no, no. no. He, he, he is so upset, he's, he's not even responding to this idea that the donkey's talking to him. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just a major frustration moment. This, this donkey, this talking donkey of mine is making me look like an idiot here, and yet this donkey is saving his life. The, he is feeling such angst and frustration about what's happening. He wants to murder his talking donkey. And yet that frustration is exactly what he needs to happen so that he can live and not die. Balaam is only seeing what's frustrating. He's not seeing what's really going on. There is something really important in this moment for Balaam. He can't see it. 
and he's exuding frustration. But if he could see what's really going on, he would be so thankful. He would be in a very different place. He wouldn't be frustrated. He'd be full of praise. There's a, there's a chance that some of you, I, and I hope not, are in a very frustration, a high frustration moment because of something in your life. Maybe something's not going how you want it to go and you're just, you're just so upset. You're so angry. I mean, you're, you might not say angry because you're a Christian. Irritated. Annoyed. My face is saying more than my word choice here. Uh, I'm just so, so upset uh, about what's going on, frustrated, uh, maybe hurt about what's going on. You're, you're, just, you're, just, you're just losing your mind because maybe something is making you look like an idiot because something's not going well. Are you asking Jesus the important question in moments of frustration? The question being, Jesus, is there something important going on here that I don't know. Jesus, is there something going on here behind all this very frustrating moment or person or whatever? Is there something going on here that, that I am not perceiving, but that you were at work somewhere back there? Something that I need to know, something that I need to see. Open my eyes so that I can see and perceive uh, what, what's going on. Guys, I've found that Many years and many frustration moments, and I have had many frustration moments, that asking that question of Jesus, seeking deeper, is there something that I don't perceive, it can be a really helpful and maturing spiritual journey. God, is there something you're doing that I'm not picking up on? Anyways, so he is, uh, he's not seeing what's going on. He's only consumed with his frustration. It doesn't even seem to irritate him that the donkey's talking to him. And then this happens. <clears throat> then, verse 31, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam knelt low and bowed in worship on his face. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Look, I came out to oppose you because I consider what you are doing to be evil. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away from me, I would have killed you by now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you were standing in the path to confront me. And now if it's evil in your sight, I will go back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but you are to say only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Again, we can see this very disturbing reality here with, with, with Balaam, the guy who isn't trying to rebel against God. If you want me to go back, I'll go back. I'm not trying to do what you don't want me to do. If this is evil in your sight, I'll get out of here. He's willing not to come. Now, I hope that there's a lot of Balaam in our hearts, a lot of this Balaam, good Balaam, in our hearts, this real willingness to obey God. God, if you don't want me to do this, I'm not going to do this. If you want me to turn back 
and go a different direction in my life, I will turn back. If you feel like I'm off track, I will get off track. If you don't like the way I'm going, I will change direction. What do you want me to do? I will do that. I hope that that is a, a major mindset in, in our lives, that Jesus is our master, and if he's not happy with our direction, then we are like, yeah, I'll change. Even if it's drawing us towards exciting, enticing things, like uh, in his case, a house full of silver and gold, I think is what he said. No, no, not just a house, the king's house full of silver and gold. But God's seeing something here, and, and it helps us get through the confusion. He's seeing that there's a two-master danger going on with Balaam. There's no doubt that God is Balaam's master, but there's a danger in his future He's done, this, done good okay thus far, but in the future, his other master is going to wreck things. It's really going to mess things up. So once again, God's making the warning clear. Previously, you must do what I tell you to do. This time, you must say only what I tell you to say. Is Balaam hearing God on this? Well, he seems to be, verse 36. When, when Balaam heard, sorry, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite city on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak asked Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Balaam said to him, look, I have come to you, but, I, but can I say anything I want? I must speak only the message God puts in my mouth. Okay, so far, so good. It seems like Balaam is good to go. And, and next week, we're going to look at the pressure that Balaam is under to curse God's people. But he's not going to curse. He's going to bless. I gave it all away, but there's good stuff still to talk about. He's going to bless. And if that was the end of Balaam's story, we would be like, Balaam is one of the greatest examples in all of the Bible at following God well. Uh, willing to follow God, turn from, from the path, even the, this alluring path, uh, standing in the face of pressure even from the king of a nation and standing against him and only choosing to bless and, and instead of cursing. Uh, someone who's determined to follow God well no matter the cost. Balaam would be this great example here, but what ends up happening is after all the excellent decisions he makes at following God well through this story. When he gets all the way through it, at the very end, Balak is going to come to him and say, because you didn't curse, no money for you. No reward for you. And instead, and then at that moment, Balaam is going to say, well... Now, we don't know this from the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers just starts, go home, no money for you. That's where, that's where we hear the end of Balaam. But in the New Testament, we find out what happened in that moment. And Balaam, he's like, well, okay, I can only bless because God said I can only say this stuff. But if you want a tip, here's how you can still get what you want, king of Moab. If you get God upset at his people, he has a proven track record of turning against them. Now, Balaam knows God. He actually knows God, so he knows that this is going to work. 
And so we read the next story about how the Moabite uh, women seduce and they seduce the Moabite men and they get them to start worshiping a, a demon, uh, Baal of Peor, uh, a mountaintop nearby, and, and how it, it does make God irritated and God is, brings discipline on his people. But, you know, Balaam could be like, hey, 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 that wasn't me. I followed God. God said I could only bless and, and I couldn't curse. I did all that. I, I, I followed God well. Sure, I gave a tip, but that's on the Moabite king. That's not on me. No, that's not how it works. And sometimes it's so easy to just, just look at it like, I'm mostly following God well, so that's probably good enough. What if I get a few other perks on the side? As I kind of compromise here or, or compromise there, as I try to blend together like my master Jesus and his calling on my life and maybe some of my own uh, uh, affection things. Guys, this is a master class in, in the danger and the impossibility of genuinely serving two masters. Because you can only serve one, and for a while he serves one, he serves God. But at the end, when it all comes down to it, he cracks because that other master got him in the end. I believe that this moment is a significant moment for you. I, I, I think that when it comes to our church, and I started, I think la starting last week, our church is given a tipping point, a tipping point opportunity for us. And I think the invitation is reawakening. The, the invitation is revival, and I believe, and I've said this for years and years and years, that reawakening begins here. And what have we been talking about about the last couple of weeks? We've been talking about getting it right, all the way right in here. Last week, looking to Jesus for forgiveness, looking to Jesus for grace, looking to Jesus for a new beginning. Today, we're talking about no other masters. Jesus only, identifying those other masters that might be pulling, that might be things that would, would blow you up in the end, and making sure that it's only Jesus, and identifying and pushing those other little, little masters down. It is a battle for our hearts, a war for our souls, and if we win this battle in our hearts, then things go from here to those around us and beyond. It begins here. And I know that when you talk about other masters, you're talking about the things that are strongest pulls on our hearts. It is my hope that the Holy Spirit has irritated you with the number one thing that you don't want to give up. And the thing that you want to justify, it's all right in your life. But then again, it's just sitting in your mind as I'm talking today. But I think the invitation that God has for us today is turn back to Jesus, look to Jesus, deal with that area of your heart, receive grace, new beginning, and then go forward with God's favor, impact, and blessing. I think it's one of those kind of seasons for us as a church, the heart work leading to the impact. The, challenge for, the challenges today are, are this, identify other potential competing masters. Identify other potential competing masters. Secondly, if you're facing frustration, ask Jesus for deeper understanding about what's going on. 
I mean, that's a game-changing discipline, by the way. And then thirdly, make a commitment to following Jesus better, starting today. That's, that's where we're at. How can I take my next steps in following Jesus? Father, I am so thankful for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness, that all of us who look to you can be forgiven of everything and, sa and, and saved and set free, whether we followed you for, uh, for zero days or for 10,000 days. Your grace is amazing. Now, God, give us the clarity to understand the battles in our hearts that might pull us away from Jesus and Jesus alone. And grant us uh, the audacity to wage those wars in our hearts victoriously so that, Jesus, you truly are the king of our hearts every day. Help us to be victorious in those places. And then lead us in that victory as we impact the people in our lives for you. Let your favor be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.